highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty together. And King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home, and Adoniram was in charge of this labor force. Now, these 30,000 men appear to be Jews. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all of Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. This huge labor force shows the temple could only be built when Israel could afford the manpower and the materials. It could only be built under the peace and prosperity won by David and enjoyed by Solomon. Solomon's wisdom was evident in the way he employed this great workforce. First, he wisely delegated responsibility to men like Adoniram. Second, instead of making the Israelites work constantly away from Israel and home, he worked them in shifts. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. It's time, as we look at Solomon's reign, they're not going to enjoy that again like that until then. But notice what it tells us in Micah, the prophet, tells us. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. And whenever you see the latter days, usually it's referring to yet days future to us, okay? When it comes to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and it's going to happen. And it shall, and, and shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow into it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And you, ought, you remember this from Isaiah chapter chapter 2. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And I love that. And see, this is the time that Solomon, they're going to enjoy this 40. I would love to live during the time of Solomon, more so even than right now. To live during that time, that 40 years, that golden age. Verse 5 says, And behold, I propose, and this is Solomon speaking to Hiram again in this letter or this message. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. Notice that. As the Lord spoke to my father David saying, Your son will, I will set on your throne, and, and he shall build a house for my name. And, um, and again, one of the takeaways uh, from this chapter is, again, just God being faithful to his promise. You can read, you might even want to write off into the um, 
side of your Bible there, just check out 2 Samuel chapter 7, chapters 10 through 16, because that is the Davidic covenant. And that's what he's referring to here. He's talking about the promise. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. We won't read it for now. Uh, but we'll go on. And so now in verse 6, says, Now therefore, command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants, according to whatever you say. And notice this, For that you know that there is none among us who has the skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. These guys were the lumberjacks of lumberjacks. These guys were the guys who had that big saw, you know, one on each side, and they're sawing away, and everything's in perfect, and they're even smiling while they're doing it, probably, you know, wearing those little overall things and, you know, doing this kind of thing. They were experts, and nobody did it like them. They were amazing. And I love the fact that Solomon, and all of his wisdom, and even all of his riches and glory and authority, he has the thing, he has it within himself to say, you know what, Hiram, there's no one on the planet like your guys. And I love that. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. That's exactly what he's doing. He's humbling himself in front of this Gentile king and saying, you know what? We've got a lot of things happening, but there's no one like you guys. And I love what the skills that you guys have. And we want to come and learn from you and we'll pay you well. And Hiram says, you know what? I loved your father and I love you as well. Come on up and we're going to have a treaty together. And they did that. And, and, and Solomon continued to foster this relationship with Hiram. And you know, a truly wise man sees the gifts and the abilities of others. And he takes knowledge of it. And he gives credit where credit is due. And any great leader will seek out the very best among the people for the areas that he needs help in. And happy is the person. Happy is the person whom the leader employs, and what a blessing to be tapped for that office and to serve that leader in the country that you live. What a great joy that would be. Verse 7, So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly in heart and said, Blessed be Jehovah this day. He used the word Jehovah. Hiram was no stranger to this God of David and now the God of Solomon, the God of the Jews, the God of all creation, He was no stranger, and when I hear Hiram speaking like this, I often wonder, what was God doing in this man's heart, this Gentile? We don't really know, but I wonder what he was doing. Maybe Hiram's in heaven. You know, wouldn't that be interesting? Verse 8, Then Hiram said to Solomon, saying, I've considered the message which you've sent to me, and I will do all that you desire concerning the cedar and the cypress logs from Lebanon. Yes, from Lebanon. (laughs) My servant shall bring them down. From Lebanon to the sea, and this is the Mediterranean Sea, by the way, because Tyre and Sidon is right there on the coast of of the Mediterranean. So what they would do, and I'll float them in rafts by sea. So he's going to put them on rafts by sea, and they're going to float them down the Mediterranean along the shoreline, and they're going to bring them right down, and we will see... Um, and, and then they'll be broken apart there, and then you shall take them away, and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. And so this place where they would drop them off, and it tells us in Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 16, you might want to write that in the margin of your Bible, because they float those logs from Tyre and Sidon up there in Lebanon, and they float them down the Mediterranean coast, and they stop right at Joppa. Today, uh, it used to be called Jaffa, like J-F-F-A, but it's modern-day Tel Aviv. That's where it is. And they would bring those logs down there, and at that point, they would break them apart, and they would have 
um, oxen and stuff like that, and they would travel along the roads. There's a, a great road that goes all the way down to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem. And so that's where they would bring them. They would get them around a modern-day Tel Aviv or Joppa, and they would bring those things right into the right into Jerusalem. And so then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire, and Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat, of food for his household, and 20 cores of pressed oil. Again, in Second Chronicles, it tells us that it was actually 20,000 baths of oil, and that's a liquid measure. But basically, what it means is about a hundred, somewhere between 115 to 120,000 gallons of olive oil every year. That's a lot of olive oil. You know, and can't you just see the the linguine spread out nice and lean, and then have that uh, the olive oil, and you cook the the Italian sausage with that. Um, anyway. But this was basically a bartering agreement, wasn't it? They were bartering. You do this, and I'll do that. And so finally, verse 12, So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom, and as he had promised him, notice, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty together, and King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men, and he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts, They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home, and Adoniram was in charge of this labor force. Now, these 30,000 men appeared to be Jews that were put into service for this project, again, for a specific time. They weren't permanent laborers. They were laborers for a purpose, and then that purpose would end. And so, in fact, we, this, there may be, this may be the beginning of the disgruntledness of some of these people because uh, you might want to make a note of uh, chapter 12 in this book, 1 Kings 12, verses 4 through 8, because we're going to see that they were getting frustrated at how Solomon was really driving these people to do all of this work, not only for the house of God, because that took seven and a half years, by the way, but then when Solomon built his own house, guess how long it took? 13 years. So all of his little building projects. So he kept the Jews busy. And, and they were getting a little crispy around the edges. And they were getting a little frustrated. But that wasn't all there was to it. But the Jews weren't supposed to be uh, enslaved, if you will. I mean, it was a forced labor. But they, they did it. And hopefully they did it with a great heart. Because, I mean, after all, they are building a temple. It's not like it's some vain, empty pursuit But in Leviticus 25, verse 44 through 46, it talks about, As for your male and female slaves whom you may have from the nations that are around you, from them you may buy buy male and female servants. Moreover, you you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in your land, and they shall become your property, and you may take them as an inheritance for your for your children after you to inherit them as a possession. They shall be your permanent slaves. But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over them with rigor. Okay, so they weren't to be in this forced labor. And so Solomon, verse 15, had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. So besides 3,300 from the chief of Solomon's deputies, they supervised the people who labored 
uh, in the work. And so this other group of 170 or, or you know, 70,000 and 80,000, these were actually people of the land, the Canaanites, if you will, the Gebelites, the people who were to um, do these things like cut stone and, and, and cut wood and those kinds of things. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay a foundation of the temple. And it's interesting that, you know, when you think of a building project and you have this kind of organization, this kind of manpower, it can be pretty noisy. But one of the things that God had them do was to quarry the stone, cut the stone, do all the work off-site in the quarries and away from the temple Because when they brought all those materials together, it was silent as a mouse. And they put the temple, and they built the temple, and it was quiet. And I love the type of that, because what is God doing? The Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what is this thing that God has done in us? When he came into your life, did he come into your life like a 100-pound gorilla coming upon you and shaking you like a leaf? No, it was very gentle, very quiet, very peaceable, very gentle. And the same thing here, as they're building the temple, everything has been done off-site. Now they're just bringing that stuff, and all you can hear is the hoofs of the cattle as they're pulling those, those wheels with the logs and, the, and those huge, heavy limestone chunks that they're quarrying out of the quarry. And they're bringing those things in, but it was quiet. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, verse 18, and the Gebelites, they quarried them. They prepared the timber and the stones to build the temple. And the Gebelites, they were from a town uh, which we would call modern-day Byblos. It's about 60 miles north of Tyre and about 20 miles northeast of Beirut. And so that's where these men had, had come from. And so I love this. You know, as, as Solomon begins to prepare, he's getting everything together and he's made these alliances with, with Hiram and they have a great relationship. And, and again, I, I just I love the idea of Solomon's heart, you know, just in that place of, you know, this is not just my dad's God that we're doing this for. This is now my God. And that's why I had you underline in chapter 3, 4, or verses 3, 4, and 5, those, those phrases the Lord his God, but now, verse 4, the Lord my God. And verse 5, the Lord my God. Solomon's taking ownership of this relationship. It's no longer just I'm on the coattails of somebody else. He's like right in the midst of it. The promises of God are coming to a light, alive in his life. He knows it. He can see it. And God is doing things. I, I tell you, what, what a wonderful life. What a wonderful thing. And you know, God is not different Today, as he was then. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He cannot change. He will not. He refuses to change. He's immutable. He cannot change. And his attitude toward Solomon, his attitude toward everybody that we read is the same. And guess what? He loves you. And he wants you to say in your own heart, Lord, you're my God. Now you're my God. You're no longer my, my father's God, my grandfather's God, my great grand. No, you're, 
You are mine, and I am yours, and I belong to you. And you know what a great thing for God to have people who have volitionally said to him, I am yours. What a great thing. What a gr- I mean, think about it. I mean, any king who has enough power can force people to do stuff. But it's not love. But to finally have somebody, uh, their heart to be in such a place, and I love this about God, he gets us to that place where we willingly surrender to him. And then we're so glad we did. And then we realize the great treasure, the great blessing that he has for our life that we could never have known had we not surrendered. And then when we finally do, we're like, how could I repay that? And God says, you don't have to pay me back. I'm just going to pour it out on you like a river. Will you just be willing to accept it? Will you be willing to be loved by God? That is such an awesome thing. So many people don't want to be loved by God. They just want to stay in their crusty, rotten old life. And they they don't want God. They put these boundaries around themselves. I will not. I will not. I don't deserve it. Name your excuse. And that's all it is, by the way, is an excuse. Because no matter what you've done, there's nothing so horrible that you've done that God can't forgive. I don't care what it is. You could have been a serial killer. You could have been a, a robber who robbed many banks. You could have done many, many awful, horrible, 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 despicable things and come to Christ. He says, I receive you and your life has changed forevermore. And see, isn't that what he's done for us? And see, that's why we come to the table. That's what makes this season so special because he died to preserve that for you and I. To preserve us, not only to cleanse us and give us this joy now, but to also have the hope of heaven and the, the hope for the future. I tell you, there's nothing greater than that. Nothing greater than that. And you and I get to sit here tonight and we get to listen to his word and we get to take the communion, these elements, and then we are going to do that right now. We're going to take communion together. What a great time to do it, you know, just to remember what he did. Remember his death on the cross. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you recall... Paul, speaking to them, said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, and do this in remembrance of me. So let's do that. And it goes on, it says, In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, we do remember what you did, and we thank you for it, Lord. May we partake. And I love what Paul said, finally. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what is it that you do? What is it that we are doing? You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You proclaim his death. Yes, and his resurrection is very important too. We looked at that because without the resurrection, this death wouldn't mean anything. But when we take these elements, we remember that Jesus died for us. For a purpose. It wasn't just to 
just to fulfill Scripture. No, he, he wanted to reconcile a people. He wanted to reconcile fallen man to himself again. But God's standard is holiness. And that means that the sin that souls shall surely die. And we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I, you, we've all deserve death. And not only physical death, but we deserve a, a, a death that, that, that goes on for an eternity. A, a, an eternal damnation. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. But this is what Jesus did on the cross to keep that from us from experiencing that horrible hell that that is. And God the Father made it so. But because his standard is complete perfection, there was only one who could fulfill that role. It couldn't be the most innocent person on the earth if there ever exists such a thing. It had to be God himself. And that's why Jesus, the word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us for the sole purpose, the sole purpose, the only purpose was to go to that cross. He lived to die like a rose trampled on the ground. He lived to die to secure that place in heaven for you and I who believe in him through faith. And what greater thing is there than that? There's no greater thing. And so that's what we've done. We believe you, Lord. We believe you, Jesus, for all that you have done. Lord, we do proclaim your death until you come. But we also proclaim the resurrection, that you are also risen. And Lord, we don't want to take that for granted, although I know I do. Lord, I pray that you'd renew that sense of urgency within my own heart and with, within the hearts of my brothers and sisters here tonight to renew that sense of, uh, of what you have done for us, Lord. May it never become something we become so comfortable with that we, it loses its, its immensity. Lord, renew our hearts and our minds and thank you again for just being with us tonight. And thank you for your word, Lord, how it challenges us. Thank you for the promises, Lord, that you've given to us. Thank you for the promises you gave to David, the promises that you gave to Solomon, the promises ultimately that you gave to all of us. Lord, you said that when you ascended into heaven that you would come in like manner. And Lord, we are awaiting for that day to come when you will come and there will be the trump of God and then the dead in Christ will rise and they will receive a new body, and they will be with you. And then the, those who are of us who are alive and are in rain will be caught up in the twinkling of an eye. In, a, in, a, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed from this corruption, and we will put on incorruption. Lord, this mortal will put on immortality, and we will dwell in your presence forevermore in a body that cannot die, that never gets sick, that never is remorseful, that never cries out of, out of pain and out of anguish. But Lord, any tears that come to our eyes, it's only going to be out of gratitude and thanksgiving. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you bless us tonight. And we just thank you. And so, Lord, we just give you thanks and praise. Inhabit our praises now in Jesus' name. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.